Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Soul Food and Lemonade. Soul Food is the information that we present to you. Lemonade is what you choose to extract from the information. Remember to subscribe, follow us and share us. Also remember to hit the notification bell so that you can be kept in the know. Stay tuned, we have a wonderful show on the way just for you. Welcome to Soul Food and Lemonade. Dr. Helen Ofosu has been practicing industrial organizational psychology, also known as work or business psychology, in the public and private sectors for over 20 years. In addition to career and executive coaching, her specialties include assessing and developing leadership skills and navigating the complex issues of workplace bullying, harassment, equity, diversity and inclusion. In 2012, she founded IO Advisory Services, a practice where she offers executive and career coaching, HR counseling, and some speaking and training. Her first book, How to Be Resilient in Your Career, Facing Up to Barriers at Work, is available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Welcome my very special guest, Dr. Helen. And Dr. Helen, it's wonderful to have you here on Soul Food and Lemonade. Would you please introduce yourself to our listening and uh, viewing audience? Absolutely. Thanks for having me so much. I'm excited to be here. I am joining you from Ottawa, Canada. So that's the capital of Canada. And uh, given your your topic, your, uh, your, your name of your show, I'm guessing you cater to many Black folks. So I always like to start with my Black ground. Yeah. Although I was born in Canada, my mother's from Jamaica, my father's from Ghana. So I feel like I'm tricultural in some ways. And my background is in uh, work and business psychology. And especially through the pandemic, that became very relevant because there were a lot of things happening uh, that had an impact on people in terms of how they earned a living. But mental health and psychology also became top of mind. And I've been using all of this, uh, the, the, work, the background in work and business psychology, to offer executive coaching, career coaching, and some HR consulting. Awesome. What exactly is organizational psychology? It's all about the things that happen to people at work in, in terms of uh, teamworks, uh, interpersonal relationships, those team dynamics, leadership. Uh, I also am very much involved in recruitment and leadership development, succession planning, those kinds of things. Now, I know the workplace can sometimes be a difficult place, especially when it comes to, um, you know, the, the nature of the job. People tend to be constantly busy and um, multitasking, and so stress can kick in easily. How can one manage that and what's the best way to approach that kind of stressful situation on a job? Great question. And the truth is that from an employer's perspective, I understand why they are motivated to try to squeeze more and more and more out of people. But the truth is that there comes a point where it's just not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So I think that many of us as employees need to recognize that it's important to do a good job and it's important to meet expectations, but that doesn't mean working ourselves to the bone. That doesn't right. mean you know, being 
being paid for 40 hours a week, but delivering 70 hours a week, right? So, you know, I understand that there's a threat of a recession and that some organizations are trying to make up for lost time, lost earnings during the pandemic, but we also need to be realistic and not overdo it because the truth is that sometimes there's no limit to what can be expected or accepted in terms of our work. And listening to you, I sometimes um, feel that it's a, for lack of a better uh, way of putting it, I think sometimes it's a lack of balance and more so of uh, greed of some of these organizations. It almost can equate to a level of wanting free labor, slavery, if you may, to put it bluntly. And so when an employee, uh, an employee works so much, it tends for them not to be able to deliver as expected, whether it's their expectations or the company's expectations. Where do companies go wrong in managing that work-life balance situation? Well, like I said, I think that a lot of organizations are, you know, for want of a better word, a bit greedy or just mm. willing to accept more than they're actually paying for. And I think that's linked to the rampant burnout that so many people are experiencing because we can only do so much for so yeah. long. And I think sometimes, especially as racialized people, we, we grew up hearing this, this mantra, we've got to work twice as hard to get half as much. And we also recognize that sometimes we are offering a lot, delivering a lot, but people have a way of kind of diminishing or uh, downplaying our contributions. So it can become a really terrible, vicious cycle. And I think we need to really re-examine re some of that and try to recalibrate so that yes, we're delivering an appropriate amount of you know, productivity, services, expertise, but not in a way that has us being exploited and ending up burned out and resentful. And a lot of times that resentment is real um, because you have you tend not to have time for your family, time for yourself, because you're spending so much time at work. How can a company satisfy their employee as well as motivate them in such a way where productivity remains high and self-care and motivation also remains high? There's a balance. How can a company properly approach that and um, implement that and sustain the uh, healthy relationship between employer and employee? Well, I think these are things that start from the top. So when the leaders model appropriate boundaries and appropriate work ethic so that they're, you know, they're doing a good job and they're doing their work, they're meeting mm -hmm. expectations, but they're not working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. So when work is done, they go home. They're wow. not sending and receiving emails at all hours of the night all through the weekends. I mean, it's different if you're in a kind of business where that is required and maybe you have shifts, but I think it starts from the top because if that's acceptable for leaders and employees see that if they are doing their work as expected, but not overdoing it, and they can still aspire to become leaders in that organization, there's that good match. Right. The truth is, I just don't think it's sustainable. No, it's not. And the, the one of the crime, I shouldn't, I guess I could call it a crime, but this whole piece about underemployment, whereby people are offering more value than they're getting paid for, and they're overqualified for what they're doing, mm -hmm. <laughs> working very hard, but not really reaping the rewards. 
it's such a setup. Yeah. Because yeah. Then, you know, people are not earning the money that they, they need to to maybe pay off student loans, meet their family obligations. And that just adds an extra layer of, uh, of stress, financial stress. And these are real issues that people are facing every day. And as a result of uh, the coronavirus, a lot of people do not even want to return to the office. And so now they're introducing stuff such as AI and God knows what to literally replace having people like me and you <laughs> to, do, to do the job. I believe that that in itself is not sustainable either. You know, over time, I think that they're going to find out that replacing human beings with machine is not necessarily a good thing. Okay, if one is going through what we're discussing, how can one approach their employee and say to them, look, I think that I am working too hard. I am not motivated. You know, just be honest and frank. Do you think that's a good approach or a good step to take in trying to get your employer to realize that, hey, something is wrong here? I think it's probably a wise approach given, I mean, assuming you have a reasonable relationship with your employer or your right. manager you report to, if you say to them that, uh, you know, you're, you're definitely committed to the organization's goals. You're definitely committed to working very hard, but that you find the workload is unsustainable and that you feel obligated to say something so that, you know, you can kind of recalibrate so that things remain sustainable. Because most employers recognize that when really good people get burned out and can't come to work or they get burned out and realize that environment isn't right for them, it triggers all kinds of extra expenses for the employer. Right. Like when you lose good people, somebody's got to take some time to find a new person, vet that new person, onboard that new person. And usually it ends up costing 20, 30 percent of yeah. the employee's uh, salary with no real advantage. So it's expensive to be losing good people. Sometimes, too, um, more seasoned employees are sacrificed for newer employees because they can offer them less. I think it's really um, a sad thing when you spend 20, 30 years in a position and then you're asked to train someone who is going to replace you, not by choice, but by the company's decision. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. How does one deal with situations such as that? Honestly, that is an agonizing scenario because in a perfect world, that person who has been performing and who is capable of training somebody to be in that position, well, in a perfect world, that person gets promoted. Exactly. Instead, they're going through the agony of basically being passed over for promotion. But it's even worse if that person replaces them and they end up getting a pink slip. And I also think that you even see this at the HR level. If someone is hiring you for a job, okay, and you are more than qualified for the position, Sometimes the person who is interviewing you is not as qualified as you are. And so I think that there can be some kind of situation, the cards can be stacked against you depending on who the person is. Because I believe that there are fair work hiring practices and there are unfair work hiring practices. And sometimes if you are very intuitive and listen carefully enough and the questions you're asked and the reason why they're asked, you can decipher which is which. Because so many people have been passed over knowing quite well that they are more than qualified for that position and quite 
can quite possibly run an entire department based on their, their skill sets and their knowledge. I don't know how to put this, but do you think that employers are aware of these things and aware that the, of the fact that their hiring person can sometimes be, respons be um, responsible for not hiring the right candidate? I'm not so sure that most organizations understand that. I address it a little bit in my book. I, I talk about um, talk about the fact that, of course, in most organizations, if it's a small organization, the owner or maybe the HR folks, they probably think they have a real knack for finding and hiring great people. And that they're so good at it, they don't need to spend that much time. Because <laughs> when you think about it, Sometimes when you when you scratch the surface and look and see what's happening in certain organizations, they're making very quick hiring decisions. Yes. And that same person, if they were buying a car, which is a lot cheaper than <laughs> paying for an employee who's going to be there for years, they will spend a lot more time doing some due diligence on the car purchase rather than the HR decision. You're so, so right. So I think that's a big mistake. And there's another thing that's more sinister. It's probably not even intentional. But during a lot of hiring processes, certain people get kind of uh, mesmerized by other people's uh, articulateness, their charisma, and other kind of superficial things. But it's kind of a smoke and mirror situation because somebody may be articulate and intelligent and hardworking, hard driving. But when you get that person in the job, they're not if fit. they're also manipulative, yeah. cruel, you know, just have all kinds of dark, sinister qualities, in addition to being uh, <laughs> articulate and smart, you have a big, big problem. And I think that's fundamentally why we have so many organizations yeah. where the culture is absolutely terrible, because you literally have brought in uh, tyrants and bullies and maybe corporate psychopaths who just wreak havoc. Mm. What can a um, companies do to change the culture? And we know these exist. Favoritism, racism, colorism, all the other isms that may arise in a company. Do you think that organizations are doing enough to deal with these issues? I don't think so. I don't think most organizations really have this on their radar. I think quite often employers figure, well, so-and-so has problematic behavior, but because they're a subject matter expert or they bring in a lot of sales, <laughs> then it's, it's smart to just focus on the good and kind of ignore or downplay yeah. the, the problematic pieces. But the fact is that the research suggests that you're actually better off having certain positions empty than having somebody who has all of these sinister problematic behaviors associated mm -hmm. with it. it creates a ripple effect <laughs> of negativity yeah it and, does and then and kind of to tie together uh the racism the passing over for promotion the bullying all of those problematic things in essence what it does is it creates a workplace where people are so focused on protecting themselves from the downsides of mm -hmm. say harassment or bullying or discrimination that instead of just focusing on doing their work, 20, 30, maybe more percent of their time 
is focused on just self-protection and, and survival instead of just doing their work. And so when you think about it, so many organizations, their whole profit margin might be 20 or 30%. So if you have people who, instead of just doing their work, they are dodging the microaggressions and worse. Right. Well, well that's why maybe there aren't enough profits left because you know people don't get to just do their work. And I think companies are not in, uh, in tune to, okay, they set guidelines, but those mm -hmm. guidelines are often broken, especially by the managers, the supervisors, and the higher-ups. And um, they are punishable to some employee. And sometimes the employees that they're punishing are not the ones who deserve to be punished because they're playing that favoritism game and you know quite well. And um, I do not think that anyone should be comfortable in that situation. And I am of the mindset that if I'm working with an organization where I do not feel like I am being valued, it's time for me to, to start looking elsewhere. No one should subject themselves to uncomfortable situation because of a paycheck. My mental is more important to me than what you're paying me. And if I can take my knowledge somewhere else, guess what? The pay may be justified, you know, to a greater extent, but I do not believe that one should sit and suffer under a situation that they are not comfortable with. I, I'm with you on that. But I recognize that sometimes the financial stress of not having income is just as bad. Yes, it so, is. So I usually encourage people to recognize that when they are being mistreated at work and they can't see how it's going to improve, then treat that current job as kind of a runway or, or a launching pad and start looking for your replacement job exactly. and get out as quickly as you can. Because I've come to appreciate that even if you can hang in there and, and kind of tolerate all kinds of mistreatment, your body will eventually suffer. Yeah. Of course, your mental health may suffer first, but eventually if it lasts long enough, you're going to start having things like headaches, insomnia, mm. stomach upset, ulcers, high blood pressure, all kinds of other things. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Now, let's talk about your book. What is the title of your book and what's the focus? Um, what are some of the things you talk about in your book that can help organizations as well as, um, you know, its employees? So it's called How to Be Resilient in Your Career, Facing mm. Up to Barriers at Work. And it basically captures the 10 top issues or themes that I've been talking with my clients about for the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. So things like underemployment, um, imposter syndrome, harassment, bullying, scapegoating, uh, toxic workplaces, these kinds of things that affect a lot of people at some point during their career. Mm -hmm. So it's very much focused on individuals who either are going through hard things and kind of need some support to navigate around them, mm -hmm. or people avoid certain things in the first place. But because I'm a psychologist, I have lots of friends and colleagues who provide mental health services. And a lot of people end up seeing mental health professionals because of the hell they are facing at work. Mm. So this book is also helpful for all the mental health folks who maybe are not themselves in these workplaces and kind of could use some 
you know, some expertise, some refreshers mm-hmm. on some of the issues that their clients are dealing with. Right. And uh, let me ask you this. As a black woman, Speaking to um, maybe large or small organizations, have how have um, people reacted or respond to you when you speak on the level in which you do? Do you find them receptive or do you find sometimes there are some people who are resentful of what you're talking about? Well, there's definitely a self-selection thing happening mm. because, you know, I'm, I'm unambiguously a black person. So if somebody doesn't want to hear my perspective, they're certainly not going to pay me to share my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right about that. You're right about so there's that. that. Mm-hmm. But you raise another point because this book, it's amazingly useful for leaders who don't understand why certain things are rubbing their employees the wrong way. As I hear things as an executive coach and as a career coach that most leaders will never hear Mm -hmm. because leaders hear things filtered, they're more sanitized. And for non-racialized leaders and for non-racialized HR folks and even Mm -hmm. aspiring allies, if they read this book, they're going to pick up all kinds of extra nuances that they may not appreciate right. because people who are part of underrepresented groups, whether they're religious minorities, LBGTQ, uh, racialized people, sometimes these conversations are a bit awkward. Mm-hmm. So being able to read something that fills in some blanks is, is good for these other communities as well. Right. I don't know if you've been following the news lately, um, you know, with the Supreme Court's decision to pull the rug away from um, um, affirmative actions. How do you feel about that? And um, do you have the same kind of thing, uh, affirmative action style stuff in Canada? And um, what's your what's your take on it? Well, I found it very hypocritical because in my mind, The original affirmative action has always been white privilege. Always had mediocre white people who have been given all kinds of advantages that they didn't deserve. And sometimes those advantages disadvantage people who may be racialized or a part of another uh, underrepresented group. Right. So I, I found the whole thing quite hypocritical. I'm very curious to see whether finally they start to disentangle many of those uh, legacy admission procedures and other biases that allowed people to get in who didn't deserve to be there in the first place, not based on merit, because it's not about merit. No, it's not. But I I believe that um, this is going to cause a domino effect, not just across, you know, private institution, public, but businesses are going to be using that as a um, template to dismantle everything, you know. Um, So I I do not, I don't think it's going to be a positive um, thing taking place. I think a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. Right after, right after the Supreme Court's decision, there were five or four um, black diversity and inclusion professionals who were let go from different mm-hmm. institutions. And I think that is what's going to take place. People are just going to be let go because the Supreme Court saves this and companies want to do something other than what they may or may not have believed in. You see? So I think it's not going to be good all the way around. I may be wrong, but, you know, I'll just wait and see. 
Well, I think that that's probably going to be a knee-jerk reaction in many uh, in many organizations. Mm-hmm. But I think for organizations that are more strategic and more determined to survive in the long term, mm-hmm. will have a different opinion because the research shows that they're actually, of course, there's a moral um, imperative in terms of creating uh, organizational environments where there's acceptance mm-hmm. and belonging, like authentic belonging for everybody, and everybody's able to contribute regardless of their identity. But there's also a practical imperative. The fact is that when you allow the best and the brightest to join your organization based on who can contribute, everybody wins. Exactly. Yeah, and I think, you know, in the States and also in Canada, just based on immigration, just based on demographics, this whole thing is a bit of a smokescreen and a bit of a, you know, just a last ditch effort to kind Mm -hmm. of pretend that things are not changing. Right. The fact is, things are changing. And we're getting to a situation where there's going to be a lot more mixed race people, a lot more racialized people. And And unfortunately, that is the fear. That is the fear. The society is becoming more brown than anything else. And that's the great fear. I believe that stocking up on guns and ammunition is not going to help the situation. But at the same time, it is our responsibility to do what we know is the right thing to do. And so even when you try to do the right thing, there are people who do not like that. So what do you do in that situation? How do you navigate and find your way in spite of the uh, obstacles or objections or stuff that you may face? That's the difficult part. Thank God I work for what I believe is a great organization, and I'm not just saying this, but there are people who may not be in the situation that I am in. And every day they go to work and they're watching over their, they're looking over their shoulders. They're kind of uncertain what's next. And this is why I believe it's important that everyone has additional streams. Everyone has additional streams of income outside of that main income that's coming in because you never know when you may have to fall back on that so you always prepare yourself for the unknown and the unexpected and um, a lot of us unfortunately we are so busy to the point where we don't take care of those issues financial health personal you know we just ignore and it's not sometimes it's just not ignoring it it's just that you're you're busy caring for everything else that you don't think of yourself and your own personal needs. And I believe it is important that we get to that place where, yes, I have a job, but you have to be number one because that job is not going to take care of you the way that you deserve. And I think that uh, there's already been evidence from before the pandemic. Yes. That a lot of people are thinking the same way. I mean, many people have side hustles, but the bigger trend is people deciding, I am sick of being mistreated at work. And it was black women, even before the pandemic, that were the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs. Ah, that makes me smile every time I get that stat. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Because so, so long and so often, black women are the ones 
who suffer because they have to take care of the, they have to be the mother the father the caretaker the nurse the doctor in a lot of cases for their own family for their families and so to see that they're stepping away from some of those responsibilities and achieving at such high level i always praise my black sister you know that black girl magic as they call it yeah. <laughs> you know, and so um, I've always been, you know, a supporter of female because those are who raised me. You know what I'm saying? And so mm -hmm. if they weren't strong, I would not be here. You would not be here. We are, you know, and so we have to praise and value our black women, which unfortunately some of us do not do as black men. And you, you mentioned something earlier that I want to come back to. Mm -hmm. And this is this whole piece about people who are super capable at work, they deliver a lot, and maybe after years and years of service, they get discarded. And so my thinking of it, it's, it's basically the, the idea that you, you might spend a lot of time building a career in an organization or in a series of organizations. And then you get to a point where, yes, you're earning a lot of money, but you're also adding a lot of value. It's almost like you're never building equity in your career when you're always an employee and all those eggs are in that one basket. Right. Because if somebody decides, well, you're really good, but we're going to give you a package so you can go away. <laughs> we'll bring in somebody who's, ah, they're good enough, but they're willing to work for half the money. Right. So I always like to encourage people to think about what could they be doing in their side hustle without creating any uh, problems in terms of uh, c competing with their primary right. job or, right. you know, violating any of those uh, conditions. But what could they be doing so that they're putting some things in place that they have full equity and ownership and autonomy over so that they're just less vulnerable to being thrown yeah. out at the peak yeah. of their earnings? Yeah. I agree. I agree with you. Now, um, where can we find your book and where is it available? And do you have a website? Give us all the information because I personally would like to support that. I really appreciate it. The book, uh, the website is called theresilientcareer.com. And there's an easy link there where you can watch the book trailer, buy the book. It's at Barnes and Noble. It's at Amazon. Ooh. Easy to get at your local booksellers. And soon it'll be on Audible. Awesome. Yeah. Just Are finished you going to be narrating it? I did. I recorded it in my own voice so that oh, I nice. could use, use my own voice to kind of hint at the things that I think are the most essential. Awesome. 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 Now to my final point, uh, what do you think is, uh, wh what is the value of diversity and inclusion in the workplace? And how does one identify whether or not it is being put into practice? And how does an employee know whether or not it's working in their favor? Well, I think fundamentally employees know it's working when they feel like they are valued and mm. they belong and they don't have to divert energy that they should be putting into their work into just surviving and self-protection that's when you know it's really working mm. it's not like that and you can't see how it could ever improve then i think you need to be keeping your eyes open for an organization that is a better fit right is a place where you have to be protecting yourself all the time and eventually if people walk 
and move to organizations that really are more equitable and more diverse and foster that authentic inclusion, then eventually those are the organizations that are going to be successful. And they'll all be the good there. That, well, they'll be much happier. They'll probably yeah. earn more money. But yeah. those organizations will be the ones that are successful. It'll be the ones that have mediocre people that don't have good diversity and inclusion. I know, I know. It's not just racialized people who, who benefit from this. Everyone There's research benefits. that shows it doesn't feel good to people who are well-intentioned to watch other people being mistreated. Right. There's secondary or vicarious trauma being created when you're watching all kinds of toxicity. Mm. So eventually, I think organizations that treat people better are going to be the ones that thrive. Younger people don't tolerate some of the nonsense that's, that's been happening. What the lesson that you hope that anyone listening to this podcast would take away from the things that you, we discussed this morning? The big public service announcement is that um, being treated reasonably at work, it's not just good for your mental health and, and feeling good. It's good for your entire well-being, your entire physical health as well. So now there's research that shows that chronic mistreatment usually shows up in our bodies, right? It shows up in all kinds of uh, physical ailments and longer term chronic health problems. So we really need to pay attention to how we feel. It's not just a nice to have. I think we really need to pay attention and gravitate to organizations and workplaces yeah. where we can exist peacefully and earn our livings and not be not be ruining our health. It's not, not right. worth it. And the older I get, I, I, I'm valuing my health more, you know. Um, take those vacations, you know. Mm -hmm. Avoid you taking sick, sick days, even though you're entitled to those, you know. But if you stay healthy and care for your mental, your physical, your emotional, you'll be fine. But we have to sometimes we get so caught up into making money. And for some of us, that's, that's a real issue, you know, not having enough. But at what point do you say, you know what? The money will always be there. I may not always be there. My health may not always be in that play, in that form for me to keep pushing, pushing, pushing just for financial gain. So it is so important that we find a balance that is going to give us, I guess you would say, the best of both worlds. Well, that's it. It doesn't have to be good health or finances. They can work. What if you can find a place where you can exactly yeah. earn a good living and be treated reasonably so that you can feel reasonable and keep yourself healthy? It's and fun. with that said, my sister, I want to thank you so much. But before you go, please remind everyone again the title of your book, because that's important. We want to get you some sales going. And uh, right. oh, right, right. Book. Awesome, awesome. And we'll definitely um, send the, put the link in the description on the YouTube channel so people can support your work. 
and I want to thank you again for being here with me this morning. Of course, we have something in common. We both are part, well, I'm Jamaican, so are you. <laughs> so that's a great thing. Thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning. And please feel free to come again. If there's another book, if there's something special on your heart you want to discuss, let's do it again. We are family right. now. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed my, my conversation with you. Wishing you continued success. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, my sister. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. And you as well. Bye for now. Uh, thanks for joining us this week on Soul Food and Lemonade. Be sure to visit our website at anchor.fm forward slash soul food and lemonade where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts to name a few or via RSS so you will never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we appreciate a rating and a comment on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about us, that will help as well. Please make a donation to sustain future episodes.